0: Well, good morning. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all here today. And welcome to uh, what is, uh, well, the last week in this series that we've been walking through for the past four weeks. This will be the fifth week in this series. Where we've been building a process for discipleship. And we've referred to this as your blueprint to finding new life with Jesus. And throughout this entire series, it has been my honest and genuine hope that, that there are those who we'll find the steps to experience new life with Jesus through what we've been talking about. There's opportunity for others here to find a deeper relationship with Jesus through what we've been covering. But also, for all of us, as we're going to talk a bit about today, understanding how we can lead others to find new life with Christ as well. So whether you're at a point of wanting to find, to deepen, or to lead, uh, hopefully there's something that you can find in this last couple of weeks. If you've missed any of, this, uh, any of the sermons, messages, good news, they're online, westmeadows.org. And you can go back and you can watch or listen to any of them, if you missed them or if you want a refresher from each. But there's opportunity to, uh, to share these principles with people in our own lives and those all around us. For example, uh, a guy by the name of Jim. Jim is in his 30s. It's a funny guy, a relational guy, just, just a great guy that people like to be around. And Jim grew up in the church, but like many people, when he reached kind of the university stage, he, he wandered away a little bit. Now, now I'm not saying that he lost his faith, he, he still believed in Jesus and, 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 it, and kind of lived somewhat to the principles of the teachings of Jesus but it would be more accurate to say that that church and and his interaction with Jesus had kind of fallen to second place, or maybe maybe third place. Now, sometimes it was fourth place in his life. Now, he still went to church on occasion, but if you had met Jim and didn't know him from all, all the years prior, you wouldn't really know too much about his faith life because it was sort of contained to that one occasional hour on a Sunday morning, and beyond that... For for a great extent, Jim's life was sort of disengaged, and quite frankly, he was kind of bored with the whole thing, the whole church thing. Now, he had a friend named Ben, and Ben invited him to come to a discipleship course. Now, now Jim wasn't really into that kind of thing, but he wasn't offended by it either, because he still believed in God. And so he reluctantly agreed, thinking to himself, I'll just sit quietly, and they've got free food. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Who doesn't like free food? Now, as the day progressed... So, too, did Jim's participation. As questions were asked, he would start to answer them. And then, as things continued on, he started asking his own questions. His interaction increased. And then, lunchtime came around, and the free food that he was waiting for was sure enough put in front of him. But he he sat there at lunch, quietly, arms crossed, and a frustrated look on his face. So, like any good friend, Ben looks at him, and, and Ben says, Jim, what's on your mind? To which Jim blurts out, Why did nobody tell me this stuff? I grew up in church and I was never taught about being a disciple. I sat in church every Sunday. I listened to sermons. I went to Sunday school, but I had no idea there was any sort of intentional purpose or process behind it all. And in just these few hours this morning, I come to realize I need to be discipled. See, Jim was a believer. Uh, But the level of belief, the, the interaction, how that affected his life was unfortunately somewhat common for a lot of people. And for the first time in his life, he was actually seeing the fullness of what could be possible. For the first time, he was seeing that Jesus had an intentional process of how to make disciples, and Jim wanted it. You see, up to this point in Jim's journey with with Christ and with the faith and with the church, he had only been told that the word disciple is a noun. Remember what a noun is? Go back to grade one English class. A noun is a person, place, or thing, Ms. Johnson, right? A noun. Up to this point, he had been told that disciple is a noun. Nobody ever told him it was also a verb. You see, nouns are these person, places, and things. And in week one of this series, I gave you a definition of a disciple, a person, a noun, a person who is following Christ. Maybe, let's go back. This is our last week in the series. Let's say this together again. A, per, a disciple is a person who is following following Christ, who is being changed by Christ, and who is committed to the mission of Christ. We're going to do it one more time because usually it takes two. A a disciple is a person who is following Christ, who is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. That's what a disciple is. But even in that definition, it speaks of activity. We see the words follow and change and commit, which are Verbs. It is a verbal form of the word disciple, and the verbal form is discipline. But here's the problem. If you open up your word process and you type in the word discipline, Microsoft Word's going to underline it. Spell check's not going to like it. It's going to say it's an errant word. You're going to have to go to Google and, and search a definition on Google to which you're going to find that it says this. Discipline. Archaic. Meaning ancient, to convert, or obsolete, to teach. You see, in week one of this series, I shared with you my fear, that many people are like Jim. They are only taught that disciple is a noun. They never knew, they were never told that there's a verbal form. They were never told there's this thing called discipling, and it's not archaic. It's not something that just happened with Jesus and his disciples way back when in a different time and place, divorced from us. It can happen now, and that's what I've been trying to cover in the course of this series. is to show you that process, outline that process that Jesus used, and give you a taste of what's possible. Quick review of those principles. The first time we talk about the process, we talk about Sharing about intentionally sharing the gospel, about sharing the truth of Jesus Christ and the impact it has upon your life in a way that reveals to others how they can move from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive and find new life in Jesus Christ. And then when a person finds that new life in Christ, we can then connect them, where we intentionally connect them in relationship with God and with his people and with their God-given purpose in the church. And we emphasize that week. How, how this the, the important relational aspect of discipleship as we know and grow in these relationships with Jesus? Then last week we talked about ministering. How we again intentionally use our, our gifts and our abilities to minister to others. And how within the church we've been, there are the leaders who are called with a specific responsibility. And that is to equip and to encourage and to walk alongside all the disciples as they demonstrate their new life in Jesus Christ. Now when you look at this definition of a disciple and and those steps we've gone through so far, it kind of relates to the first two points. The first one, idea of of following Christ by sharing the good news, of of being changed by Christ as we connect and minister. What about the third one? About committing to the mission of Christ. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today as we end this series. Now, the mission that we're referring to here, it might be no surprise to certain people, is that the mission we're talking about here comes from the Great Commission, where in Matthew uh, chapter 28, we're told to go make disciples. That's a noun. To go make disciples, but it presumes a process. Let's have a look at the verse here, Matthew 20, verses 19 through 20, where it says, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here's why this is important. If if the word disciple was simply a noun, then it really only requires a one-time event, that one-time moment of conversion, just one and done, and that's it. But then we move on in our lives and our faith with Christ like Jim. But if we understand that discipling is actually a verb as well, we start to see this ongoing process of growing and maturing that takes place step by step by step, small step after small step after small step as we continue to grow closer and to know the Lord. Lots of research has been done into this, and some of the most famous research done by a guy named James Angle. And he created something back in the 70s, and it's a while ago, but we're not going to call that archaic either. It was done by James Angle, and it's referred to as the Angle Scale. And I'll put up on the screen here. I'm not going to read through all these definitions. You can Google it yourself at home if you want to. It's James Angle, E N G E L, in this Angle scale. And it talks about how there's this progression that people go through within themselves, uh, emotionally and spiritually, as they move towards a decision for Christ. And a really quick summary of this it sort of starts with somebody who's agnostic. That basically means they believe in a supreme power. They, they believe there is a God, but God is unknowable, and it's sort of undefined in their lives at this point. But then somebody starts to define that God for them, and they share the good news of Jesus Christ with that person. And then the person moves further to a positive view of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then they move to the point of acknowledging, hey, wait a second, I got a sin problem, and that good news is for me. And then they move to the point of acting upon that where they repent of their sins and receive his forgiveness. And in that moment, they cross this line because they find new life in Jesus. And they then continue down the process of knowing and growing and expressing that relationship with God. Now I think this is important for people to understand for two reasons. Number one, because if you're going to engage in conversations and relationships with people around you about the things of faith and about the things of Christ, I I think it's important that you first find out where that person is at that you're talking to. To find out where, kind of on this scale, if you will have, where they are. Because if you're talking to somebody at like a negative eight agnostic level, you can't expect them just to jump to negative one all of a sudden in just one swoop. See, there's many decisions. There's many steps along the way as we walk with people in a process of leading them closer and closer towards Christ. But the second reason I think this is important to understand is because wherever you may find yourself on a particular continuum like this, I need you to know that every follower of Jesus Christ is in a place to disciple somebody. You see, the minute you cross the line from spiritual death to new life, as Ephesians 2.5 tells us, that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, God brought us to new life in Christ. In that moment, in that moment that you received new life, in that moment you were equipped to disciple somebody who was further behind the process than you. You can't disciple up, but you can disciple down on this continuum. And this gives us our definition of what do we mean by discipling. Because discipling is this. Discipling is multiplying your new life and the lives of others. Discipling means multiplying your new life in Jesus and the lives of others. I've seen this happen time and time again. A guy named Tony walked into my office and into my life a number of years back, and I still bump into him on occasion, and he is still stumbling and fumbling through his faith with God, but he's moving forward. But when he first walked into my office, he was at this point where he believed in God, but he also knew the importance of the question of defining that God. So he came to talk to me to, to wrestle with this. We talked for a couple of hours, and then I gave him three books to take home. And I figured that a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, he'd come back after he finished the books. He was in my office again the next morning. He had read them all. He stayed up all night, read them all. He was just so hungry. And he was moving through this process, but it was so quickly as he moved along. And by the end of the week, he knelt in my office and he surrendered his life to the Lord. And he experienced new life in Christ in that moment. And then what did he do? This brand new baby Christian, if we refer to him that way, went home and immediately started sharing his new life with his family. Two weeks later, I led his sons to the Lord in my office. By the end of the month, I baptized all three of them in the tank at the same time. It was a beautiful moment. They got into an Alpha program. I continued to meet with them. They continued to know and grow in their faith to this very day where they continue to press deeper into that. See, it happens. There's this process that we can journey with people along. Now, there's limits, though. You see, there's limits to how far Tony could disciple his family. Because you can't disciple somebody beyond the level you're currently at. But even at such an infancy stage, he was still able to do something, but, but there was a limit. You see, Tony nor nor Jim, whose story I shared a moment ago, was at a point in their personal maturity where they could share with another person. They could teach another person uh, the the importance of reading the Bible because they still saw it as a chore. They didn't yet come to understand that it was actually more of an encounter with Jesus, how we know and grow with him. They couldn't teach somebody the importance of tithing because they still saw their possessions as theirs. They hadn't yet understood that all that we have is actually his, and we give back to him a portion of his as an act of faith and an act of worship. They, they couldn't teach that yet because they hadn't learned that themselves. And speaking of worship, they couldn't teach people that what worship truly was, that it's not about what they liked. It was about what God likes and what he wants to see in the heart of a worshiper. But just because they weren't at that level yet doesn't mean they couldn't do something. You see, by the mere fact they had the presence of Jesus in their lives meant that both Tony and Jim were ready to start multiplying that new life in the lives of others. They were ready to continue a process that Jesus had started centuries earlier when he called, when he equipped, and when he sent his disciples to go make other disciples. You see, Jesus had this vision of God's kingdom as a place of growth and multiplication. That was his vision of the kingdom of God. As much as he talked and taught about the kingdom of God, it was this vision of growth and multiplication. And he was preparing his disciples for the role that they would have in the harvest in the growth of that kingdom. If you turn to Matthew chapter 13, you'll find a series of parables that Jesus begins by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. And he covers all these different aspects of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And one of them in particular found in verse 31 and 32. Is is maybe a common parable Jesus told of what the kingdom of heaven is like. When he said it's like a mustard seed. Which a man took and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of the seeds. Yet when it grows it is the largest of all the garden plants. And it becomes a tree. So that the birds come and perch on its branches the smallest known seed at the time was the mustard seed and it had taken on this proverbial status because this tiny little seed when planted grew into the largest plants these these mustard plants bushes or trees if you will sometimes grew to eight 12 feet tall from this tiny little seed Now, now describing the kingdom of heaven like this was challenging for his community that was listening because they expected the kingdom of God would arrive, but it would be great and it would be immediate. And here's Jesus telling them, no, no, it's already present. He said that in Mark 1.14, the kingdom of God has come near. He was saying to them, no, the kingdom of God's already here, but, but it's simple. Simple beginnings, small little beginnings, but eventually it will cover the globe. It will begin as a tiny seed in the hearts of his disciples. But it will grow as their faith grows. And it will expand as other people's faith grows. You see, that was the plan. The plan was to plant the seed in the hearts of the disciples and and nurture it and let it grow. So that they would grow to the point of becoming spiritual parents for generation after generation after generation. And they did it because here we are today. You know, when I think about this and the impact that, that Jesus can have in your life and in mine and, and, and throughout the community and throughout Edmonton, I, I just picture him standing on top of a hill at the wintertime like this with, with snow in his hand. And I don't mean like that nice like white fluffy snow. I mean like, like snowman making snow. And he's just packing that snowball. You know, it, it's cold enough it doesn't melt, but, but warm enough that it sticks. And as he makes that snowball at the top of the hill, He just drops it and says, go. And as that snowball rolls down the hill, just gathering snow, attracting snow, attracting snow, it goes from this tiny ball snowball to this massive snow boulder as it rolls down the hill, just attracting others. So how do we do that? How do we grow that in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Well, there's lots of ways and there's different ways there's two categories of ways I want to share with you today, though, about how you can be discipled and also how you can disciple others. And I refer to these as organic and structured. Now, here's what I mean by organic. Now, that word organic, we're not unfamiliar with it because of our grocery stores, but basically it refers to you know, letting nature do what nature does, like what naturally grows without artificial assistance or mechanical process attached to it. When we see organic, we're thinking of vegetables sometimes where you simply take a seed and put it in soil, you add light, you add water, no chemicals, nothing like that. You just let nature do what nature does. Now, when we talk about this in terms of ministry, some people push back against this organic idea of ministry because it lacks intention. And I would suggest to you that it still has a level of intentionality because somebody had to plant the seed. Somebody had to initiate the process, but then they didn't mechanically structure it or force it to grow in something. They allowed nature to do what nature does. And in ministry, I think this is what Jesus talked about when he shared with another parable in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, sort of this organic type of ministry when he said, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Is he salt? Dis- Just naturally, by being put on top of something, just naturally kind of adds flavor to whatever it's mixed into. Salt just naturally preserves whatever it's added to, it just kind of does what it does. But if it loses its saltiness, it becomes no good for for flavor nor for preservation. And so, likewise, disciples are, are to live their lives in the world just being present. Just sort of saturating society so that their very presence naturally saturates and flavors and preserves, offering those principles to the world. Jesus continued by saying also, you are the light of the world. And let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. Again, light just naturally fills an area. An unimpeded lamp will fill an entire room and all the people in that room will enjoy it. Jesus said, I am the light in the darkness. I am the light of the world. And he went into people's lives and and he served them, whatever those needs may be. He, He ministered to them in their times of need. He taught them principles they needed to be aware of that would bring them from the darkness they were living in into the light of living with him. And he told his disciples to carry on that work. That is, we just sort of do good deeds in the world around us, sometimes undefined, sometimes without even words, just doing good works in the world around us, that just as things are drawn towards light, people will be drawn towards us, and it's our opportunity to point them towards the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ, as they're all blessed by these things. This happens in the world around us. I read a story this week about India, India, which is a nation of over a billion citizens, and yet 3% of them are Christians. But even though only 3% of the over a billion people who live in India are Christians, Christians are responsible for more than 18% of the entire nation's health care. See, Christians have given India an inspired legacy of education and medicine. There's a good chance that if you say the word Christian... To an Indian peasant who has never heard the name Jesus before, that the first image that will pop into their mind may very well be a hospital or a van that drives through her village once a month to provide medical care. All being done to offer personal care in the name of Jesus, to let that light shine, to let that salt saturate throughout the community. Now, it's not the whole gospel, but it's a really good place to start. Because it draws people towards, it moves them further along in that process as we are salt and light in the world around us. It moves them forward towards knowing Jesus, towards experiencing new life with him. But there's a limit. Because that alone will not make anybody a disciple who makes a disciple. Which is why we also need to understand that there's more of a structured form of discipleship as well that needs to be plain. Now when I say structured, I don't mean rigid. I don't mean it has to be rows in a classroom and and overly programmed. What I mean instead is more of this intentional connection, this intentional guidance with a discipler. And and I think this is inherent to what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he was talking to that one church. And and he starts by telling them, "Look, look, anyone who believes in Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. So they've moved along that scale far enough that they've reached that point where a new life has begun. Because God was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. You see, when we accept God's gift of forgiveness for our sins, our sins is what separates us from having that relationship with God. But when we accept the forgiveness of God through Christ, we experience new life with Jesus. And that's not just about a moment. It's not just about a conversion. It's about becoming and then going forth and making disciples. Disciples who begin to be changed by Christ. That means what they think, how they feel, how they act starts to mirror who he is. Essentially, we continue his work of reconciling the world to himself. We need to keep in mind that Jesus is the one who makes people righteous. Jesus is the one who reconciles people to God. We also need to be mindful that his disciples are the ones who are given the message. The message to share with people about how to find new life, how to grow in that new life, but then also how to lead others in new life—that's what discipling is, multiplying your new life with Jesus in others. Now, this often happens through a combination of organic and structured means, and we've seen this, you know, in the story of one family I know—a couple named Bob and Cindy who had one daughter lady named Ashley. And she was raised in this Christian home. And there was sort of this general kind of organic ministry that they just did as they lived their lives in the world, as they shared Jesus with, with her and, and with others by, by serving, by loving, by, by enduring trials with, with unwavering faith. This is sort of how they lived their lives and it left an impact. They, just sort of, they were salt and light in the world around them and it, and it impacted people all around them. And Ashley saw this, and it became sort of a family value in her as well. But in addition to that, they also valued regularly reading their Bibles and praying together as a family. And so Ashley grew in her belief and grew as a disciple of Jesus. Now, as she reached a point where she went away to university, unlike Jim, her faith held strong. And it held strong as she went through university, but while she was in school, she, you know, like a lot of students, needed some extra money, so she also got a job at a fast food restaurant. But whether she was at school or at home or at work in this fast food restaurant, she let her light shine throughout all these places, and people were drawn to her. They wanted to have a relationship with her and understand, what what is different about you? And so she'd tell them. And then she'd invite them to come to a Bible study with her that she had started for just this very reason because people were drawn to her and asking her questions. And so she thought, well, let's have a bit more of a structured environment. And so she invited them, and some said yes. And, and as they started reading the Bible together, questioning and answering questions and struggling with things of faith together, it wasn't long until another young man decided to start following Jesus himself. And at that moment, Bob and Cindy could successfully say that they had raised a disciple because a full understanding of who a disciple is is a disciple is somebody who makes disciples by multiplying their new life, Jesus, in the lives of others. And folks, the same opportunities exist for all of us. You may live in a home with a spouse who doesn't know the Lord. You have an opportunity through organic and through structured ways to be discipling them. Discipling them organically just through the way that you live your life. Faithfully, consistently, living according to Jesus' teachings an example. But there may be more structured ways too where you can invite somebody to join you in times of prayer, in times of reading and study. There may be opportunities to join the, invite them to join you to watch West Meadows at home, online, or to come and join us on site. These opportunities exist in those things. You may have children. Where you have one of the most important roles in your entire Christian faith, your entire Christian life is to be the priest of your home and to raise up your children to be disciples through organic and structured means of discipleship. You may have grandkids where the opportunity exists, friends, workers, co workers that you're around that are all opportunities to be salt and light, but then also to share. Your life in a more structured sense, when time gives opportunity as well. These are all opportunities where you can disciple, where you can multiply your new life with Jesus in the lives of others. Now some people feel like this is a daunting task, and I get that. And am I ever going to tell you it's an easy task. It is hard. Like the song we sang, "I've decided to follow Jesus," sometimes nobody will go with you. Sometimes there will be trials and there will be difficulties, and I'll never tell you it's an easy task, but I will tell you that it is vitally critical, important task. So where do you begin? Well, if you feel like this is too big, if you feel like this is something that you are not prepared for, I, I hear that a lot, but even as I hear that, I also find that there's a lot of people who want to disciple, who want to bring those that God has brought into their lives into a deeper relationship with Him, but they struggle. Now, sometimes people struggle, and it's a sign that they themselves need to be going deeper in their own walk first. That maybe there's nobody in their life who is far enough behind them that they can disciple them, and they're feeling like they just don't know how to handle those who are in their current lives. The first solution to that is for you yourself to go deeper in your walk with Christ. To continue to know and to grow Him yourself, so that you yourself can advance and have more things to lead them in and to teach them in. And if that's where you're at, that's okay. It's okay as long as you use that situation to propel you forward. If you simply use it to handcuff yourself, that's not okay because that's not fulfilling the mission and the vision of multiplication that God had for his kingdom. You can move it to move forward. But even in the midst of that, you can still be salt and light. You can still use your good deeds to glorify your Father and draw people towards him. But then there are others. and Let me encourage you is that if you feel like you do have somebody in your life that you could speak into, that you could lead along this path and you could disciple them, let me encourage you, remind you that you are not alone, that we do not disciple people under our own power. You see, Jesus goes with us. God's work can only be achieved at the direction of Jesus. Jesus. John 15:5 tells us that Jesus says, "I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you remain in the vine, you will bear much fruit. But apart from Jesus, apart from the life-giving vine, you can do nothing. See, apart from Jesus, we're lifeless in this spiritual sense. We are unable to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. When we use that word fruit, in this particular case specifically, we're we're talking about uh, about the efforts and the structure, the process that goes into making disciples. Now, whether we're talking here organically or structured-wise, the end goal is the same. The end goal is multiplication of new life. Now, there's a caution in this. And the caution is that we are to not trust in ourselves. We are to not trust in ourselves because apart from our new life with the vine, we can't do anything. But there's also a reassurance. And the reassurance is this. We don't have to trust in ourselves. It's not just a caution. It's also a reassurance. Because we do not go forth on our own power, on our own words, on our own ministry, but we go forth in the name of Jesus. And I've never ceased to be amazed that God would use a person such as me to go forth to be an ambassador of his To share the good news of Jesus, to lead people to find new life with Him, to lead people to experience a deeper relationship with Him. Never stand amazed to understand that He uses people like me and and like you. But even as I say that, I have to remind you that it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about Him. Because in the same passage when Jesus says apart from me you can bear no good fruit. He also says that this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourself to be my disciples. Is the ultimate point of all this. The ultimate point of our service, of our ministry and of our discipling is to bring glory to the father. To advance his kingdom. And when we live in new life with him. And when his power is seen through us, it gives us this assurance that we are his disciples and that we're fulfilling all that that entails. What does it all entail? That we're disciples who are following Jesus. We're disciples who are being changed by Jesus. We're disciples who are committed to the mission of Jesus. But folks, it all begins was saying yes to that invitation. And if you have not said yes to the invitation of God before, I need you to know that God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's a beautiful plan. But humanity has polluted that plan with its sin. Individually, we've all done polluted that with our sin, and that sin has separated us from God and from his plan for us. The Bible says that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequence of that sin is is this separation, that, that spiritual death from God. But Jesus is God's only provision for our sin. And through his forgiveness, he can bring us back into right relationship with the Father. Again, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us. He demonstrated his love for you. That while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And yet we must place our faith in Jesus Christ to receive his forgiveness and to experience that glorious plan he has for us. But the Bible also promises that all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, are made children of God. They find that new life. Now many people who are listening to me online and who are here on site with me, you know this. And you may wonder, why do we include this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday we know this. You know why I include it? I include it for the one person who's here. I include it for the one person who's listening online who has not heard that before. Or who has never responded to Jesus and said yes to that invitation to become a follower of him. I include it for that one person so they would have the opportunity to do so. That we could begin to multiply our new life in you and begin to disciple you. So, if you have encountered Jesus in the past or for the first time just now and you have not said yes, there is no reason to wait. You can respond and say yes to him now. You can click the prayer button with somebody online or you can come forward at the following the service and I would love to talk with you and pray with you at that time. Because when we find that new life in Christ and we get connected to the vine, that's a work that begins to change within us. And opportunities begin to present themselves where you can, pre- can share your new life with Jesus in the lives of others. I've given you examples of stories today of what this can look like. And, and you may yourself have friends and family and coworkers and classmates and other people that you can, you can press into their lives. Those who don't know the Lord. You have an opportunity to be salt and light in their lives. And when they ask you for the reason for the hope that you have, you can tell them step by step how you came to know Christ and the difference that he has made in your life. In the months ahead, as as a church, we want to strive to assist you in this. We want to strive to equip you in this even more. In the new year, even in the midst of this COVID season, with the uncertainties of how do we do ministry, in the new year, we're going to be offering an Alpha program. And so I want to ask you the question. If you're at a point where you don't know Christ and have questions, if you're at a point where you've recently come to faith, but you have questions, if, if you've been in the faith for a long time, but you've stayed in the shallow end and never gotten into the deeper things of God, Alpha is the right thing for you. We're going to offer it online and in person if we're allowed to. And I want to wonder, who could you invite to come join us for Alpha in the new year? For other people, we're going to be offering training. You see, Jim is a real person. Jim went to a real course, and that real course was called Real Life Discipleship. And it's a program that I'll be leading in January. It's a 12-week program of showing you, pressing deeper into some of the principles we covered in this series but what it looks like, what it means for you to go deeper in your life with Christ and how you can lead others to find new life for themselves as well. So wherever you find yourself in that situation, we've got something coming up for you where we as the church want to continue to equip you and encourage you and invest in you as you invest in others, as you invest in the kingdom of God by multiplying your new life with Jesus and others just stand as I pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again that you see fit to use people such as me and such as us that are gathered here for the purposes of your kingdom. God, help us be reminded that it's all about you and about your kingdom, not about our kingdoms. Not about how good we look or may feel when we serve you, but the fact that you use us to serve you for your purposes. God, I pray you'd help us to be part of that snowball. That is just growing and growing. Not only that we would see our church here grow to your glory, but that we'd see your kingdom around the world grow. Lord, for those who are listening and watching today who are here who do not yet know you, God, I pray that in this moment the Holy Spirit that is within them and among us would just impress upon them their need to say yes to following Jesus. And I pray also for those who are here who have said yes in the past but have not pressed into this deeper relationship to be a disciple who makes disciples. May they say yes. And by the power of your spirit, may you guide us as a church to equip and to encourage these people. By the power of your spirit, may you share with these people and reveal to them the next steps for them as they grow deep in their night like their new life with you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to be your son say